listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, thank you so very kindly for spending some time with us today. I'm thrilled to be back on the radio after a couple of days on the road covering the Raptors in their uh, Game 1 narrow loss in Milwaukee. Of course, as you heard in the news, Game 2 goes tonight, a little later on in the program. I am going to play for you what I did when I was in Milwaukee, namely, pretty much set off an international incident. I found myself... On radio in Milwaukee, I basically, I don't know if you heard this, that there's this radio station there that has said we're not going to play any more Drake uh, for the uh, duration of the series, a ban on Drake, uh, and so I just went to that radio station, and quite literally, I just barged my way in. I really did. I just went in there, and I just dropped a whole bunch of bombs on them, and I'm going to play a little bit of that for you later on in the program, plus my interesting interview with Conrad Black. Lord Black has been pardoned by the President of the United States. Later on in the program, I will ask Conrad Black if he thinks that the very nice things that he has said about the the President had anything to do with it. Hmm. It'll be an interesting conversation. Please bring a dictionary and a thesaurus with you, because there's a lot of $3 words whenever Conrad Black starts talking. I think I have a pretty good vocabulary. I think, I mean, I think I know a a couple of words, but when you talk to Conrad Black, you realize, I know nothing. Did you hear about Grumpy Cat? Later in the program, we're going to talk about Grumpy Cat. Why has it always got to be cats? Why? Grumpy Cat dying at the age of seven. And I know what you're saying is, why do I care about the feline? Well, there's no reason to care. There is truly no reason to care. But what is fascinating, I think, is do you know how much money Grumpy Cat's owners were pulling in? And more to the point, the changes that are underway by Instagram to essentially take power away from the Grumpy Cats of the world. I am going to say, I will present this as my theory, Instagram killed Grumpy Cat. That's what happened. And I will tell you why I believe that. But our first segment today is focused on polls. We're going to talk about polling because we've got a number of interesting polls out. And I I love the polls because sometimes they're just ludicrous. But I begin with this one. Doug Ford, a Polara Strategic Insight Survey, now finding that 31% of respondents in Ontario prefer Andrea Horvath's New Democrats compared to 30% for Ford's Tories, 26% for the Liberals under interim leader John Fraser, who has a magnificent head of hair, by the way. Mike Schreiner's Greens have surged, however, to 11%, which proves you can have limp hair and still get popular boost in polling. Mike is a nice guy. He's got a lovely head of hair, but nothing like... Have you seen John Fraser's hair? I would just Google him if you get... Don't, not if you're driving. Don't do that now. In June's, last, uh, in June's election last year, now, the, the Tories took in 40.5% of the vote. The NDP, 336 Liberals at just under 20%. So keep that in mind. 40% of the vote in the election, and now in terms of this poll, down to 30% in terms of support. Now, it's easy. It's one thing to actually mark a ballot, and it's another thing to complain when a pollster calls you up because 
Well, who wants to be called up by a pollster anyway? I'm sure this is an online poll now that I've said this. I, I can't see the actual sample. Uh, but uh, the poll did find that 30% of respondents approve of the government. This is the Ford government. 64% disapprove. 64% disapprove. Maybe that's what led to Doug Ford getting booed at the Special Olympics. Boo Doug Ford. And then he says, well, that's the only time I've ever been booed. Well, the numbers would suggest that there's more booing to come. At least if things don't turn around, and if you believe that poll. Because my next poll is under the duh category. This is a poll from Nanos that says the majority of Canadians are worried or somewhat worried about the increasing price of gas. Really? Hey, things are getting more expensive. Are you happy about that? No. Whoa, that's breaking news, isn't it? This poll found that 38% of Canadians are worried. 32% are somewhat worried about rising fuel costs. 30% say they're somewhat or not worried or not worried and possibly worried. You know, these things, it's it's crazy after a while. More than 6 in 10 Canadians say they are likely or somewhat likely to buy more fuel-efficient vehicles. They say this every time, and then they go out and we buy trucks. This is one of these things that, you know, again, what the pollsters call, oh, yeah, I recycle? Yes. I am going to buy an electric car? Yes. And then we do none of those things. Then we just we just pour paint. We just pour paint down the drain and move on. That is the reality of things. I think that poll is ridiculous. Next up, another poll. This one about the CBC. A new poll suggests that Canadians are largely in favor of maintaining or increasing funding for the CBC, although conservative voters are far less enthusiastic about supporting the country's public broadcaster. Now, this again is a Nanos poll. This one is commissioned, was commissioned pardon me, by the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting, and this poll found that 46% of respondents want CBC funding increased. say, leave it as it is. 17% say, cut it. Now, the Friends of Canadian Broadcasting was spawned in the mid-1980s in opposition to funding cuts to the CBC. It advocates for public broadcasting, local journalism, and Canadian-produced content. And on the line is Daniel Bernhardt, Executive Director of Friends of Canadian Broadcasting. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much for having me. 46%, according to this poll, want us to increase CBC funding. Do you think Canadians, by and large, would agree to increase tax taxation to support the CBC? Ah, Well, I don't think um, that it has to be a question of increasing taxation, necessarily. Um, The poll had to do with CBC, but we also asked a couple of other questions in the poll around, you know, whether... um, Big platforms like Facebook and Netflix should be taxed and follow the same rules as as their Canadian competitors. And one thing that Friends has been drawing attention to for quite some time uh, is the fact that there are uh, 
loopholes and exemptions uh, that the government gives to these huge Silicon Valley platforms like Google, Facebook, and Netflix that are worth, uh, you know, almost $3 billion a year. So, you know, for every dollar that the government spends on CBC, uh, we spend $2.50 subsidizing these Silicon Valley behemoths who not only make, you know, negligible contributions to Canadian society, they're also stealing ad dollars away from, you know, Canadian journalists and Canadian broadcasters uh, uh, like you, uh, who are providing local coverage, who are stimulating local conversation, and who play a really important role um, in, in our society and democracy. So I don't think it's about increasing taxes. I think it's about making sure that um, <clears throat> that, that the government is looking out for Canada's best interest. And with uh, declining revenues in the private media, with 250 newspapers closed in the last 10 years. Um, I think Canadians are rightly concerned about the quality of information that's available to them, and they want to make sure that there is a source of trustworthy news. And if the private media industry is not able to survive the onslaught of Facebook and Google because the government is in part helping Facebook and Google to kill Canadian journalism, then I think, you know, we need a public alternative, and that's the CBC, and the polling numbers reflect that. Well, listen, I don't disagree on a lot of the levels, and if if I recall my... uh study of the Broadcasting Act, and it's been a while since I looked at it, the the mandate for the CBC really should be to provide uh, information, news and information, in in places in Canada that are not served, that that cannot be served by private uh, broadcasters, simply because there isn't the density. My question is, why is it that my tax dollar goes towards funding an operation here in Toronto that is competing against me, not only broadcasting, but online as well. That doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think the first thing to point out about the Broadcasting Act is that it uh, it doesn't say that the CBC should just fill in the gaps where um, where uh, private media you know doesn't have a presence. It says that CBC exists to uh, inform, enlighten, and entertain all Canadians, and it has a mandate to do that across the country. So I think that's the you know that's one thing to remember. Um, the second thing I would say is that CBC. Um, is not, I think, a competitor for private media in the same way, or at least it shouldn't be. Are you kidding me? They take our ad dollars. They take our ad dollars online. Oh, come on, man. Facebook and Google are taking your ad dollars. Uh, listen, I, let's set that not, aside. I mean, I'm not... Hold I, on I, a second. I, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I let you have your question, so hang on a second. Facebook, CBC's total advertising revenue, total advertising revenue, TV, online, uh, um, all of it, is, you know in the neighborhood of $300 million a year. Foreign digital advertising, Facebook, Google, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify in Canada is north of $6 billion a year. So if we are going to say that CBC is the, the sole problem, if, if CBC got out of advertising entirely, there would be maybe an extra $300 million a year to be spread through all the different media. It would not make a noticeable difference. Um, in, 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 in terms of your ability to attract ads. The big flight of ads is to Google, Facebook, Netflix, and YouTube who don't make the kind of contributions that you do. And I think that's the problem. We've got to look at the size of the money. Um, it's, it's not the CBC that's stealing these ad dollars. I mean, I am personally in favor of reducing CBC's dependence on commercial revenue. I think it would be better if CBC were more public-focused and was not in the business of selling uh, audiences to advertisers. I think it would be a great compliment to private uh, to private broadcasting um, if it were if it were to make that shift. 
uh, but it needs to be funded appropriately in order to do that. And so, you know, public funding is one way of doing this. There are other mechanisms of funding it that don't come directly from the, from, uh, the government's tax coffers. Um, other countries support public broadcasting in that way. I think there's things that we can look at. But the real flight of ad dollars, the real thing that's killing Canadian media, it's not the CBC. It's Google, Facebook, YouTube, and the fact that the government provides generous tax breaks to Canadian businesses to reward them for buying those ads. And those, the value of those tax breaks and those subsidies is worth more than the entire budget to the CBC. So, you know, that's where the competition is really coming from, in, in my opinion. Daniel Bernhardt is Executive Director of Friends of Canadian Broadcasting. We're going to have to leave it there. I don't disagree at all that the real problem is not the CBC. It is those foreign conglomerates. Thank you, Daniel. appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Alan. Talk to you soon. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome back. Grumpy Cat is dead at the age of seven. That is the news this morning. The cat dying from a urinary tract infection passing away peacefully Tuesday in the arms of her mummy. Coming up on the radio program, we're going to tell you now that Grumpy Cat has passed on to the great litter box in the sky. Is there an opening for your ugly or weird looking pet to make you a lot of money? For example, I have a cat. I have a disabled cat. It's a shaky cat. Uh, it has a neurological disorder, and so when it walks, it wobbles. It looks like it's consistently drunk. It's hysterical. And I've often thought, should I monetize the cat? When we uh, wait, A little later on in this segment, I'm going to tell you, could you monetize your crazy pet? That is coming up. Also, we're going to talk about the raptors and what's going on in Milwaukee. But among the other jobs that I do... I anchor the 5.30 newscast on Global News, Monday to Friday, with my co-anchor Farah Nasser. And on the weekend, you can watch the political affairs program that I host called Focus Ontario. It runs Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 11.30 in the morning. It is a look at Ontario politics. It is, without hyperbole, the greatest political affairs show in the history of television. And it is a great honor honor to host it because it has been on the air since the mid-'80s. It has had a number of distinguished hosts, including the current senior vice president of this company, Troy Reeb. Hey, boss. Uh, who was a tremendous host, and uh, the show had never been has never been as good as when Troy hosted it. Thank you, boss. But my immediate predecessor left the job of being host, and I actually got the, the gig after he left, because... He was offered a dream job as a foreign correspondent based in London, working for Global National. And he took the job because he thought, well, I just can't pass this up. And he's written a book about it. It's called Falling for London. And Sean Mallon joins me now. Good to be here, Alan. So, dream job, you just felt like you couldn't turn it down. And, of course, everything went swimmingly from there. Is that right? The moment I got Focus Ontario... Oh, sorry, uh, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, for all my life, uh, I'd, I'd done some work abroad, fleetingly, for Global. But the full-time foreign correspondent jobs had always kind of passed me by. And by 2011, um, I was kind of thinking the opportunities just weren't going to happen. I had a good gig. 
your gig, and uh, was starting to accept it wasn't going to happen. The job came open one more time. I thought, let's give it a try. I'll apply for it. Don't really think I'm going to get it. Figured they want somebody younger, somebody more conversant with social media, somebody maybe more willing to go into war zones. And then out of the blue, I got it. So I remember sitting in the office of Queen's Park when the call came. I phoned my wife, and um, the result was not so simple at that point. Because had I been single, simple matter, pack your bags, head for the airport, go to London, have a great time. But there were two other people in my life to whom this, this, uh, this uh, change of job was going to have a huge effect. My wife and daughter, uh, who was only six at the time, and they really didn't want to go. And who could really blame them? Because I was asking them to, to uproot everything they had, leave, wife, leave behind family and friends, a great job that my wife Isabella had, and go to a place they'd never seen before where they knew absolutely nobody so that I could have this cool gig. So behind the scenes, for about a week and a half after I got the opportunity, uh, the offer, there were some pretty intense negotiations. <laughs> but to their great credit, they finally said, you know... Let's go for it. You go. We'll join you in the fall when our, our daughter could start school there. So, so off I went. And as I was waiting for the taxi to take me to the airport to go over to cover the royal wedding, because I'd be over there in a rush. This is the previous royal wedding, William and Kate. Um, my wife, Isabella, handed me a journal and said, if you're going to put us through this, you'd better write a book. So I kept the journal. And here it is. And your experience as a foreign correspondent, what you had in your mind about what the experience would be like and the reality of actually being on the ground, I'm going to guess there was some space between those two things. Well, you know what? The job itself was everything I could have wanted it to be. I was so fortunate with uh, the 28 months that I was there with uh, the vast array of stories that I got to cover. It was the royal wedding. There was the, the riots in the streets of London. There was the Arab Spring. There was the uh, Putin's election. There was the wreck of the Costa Concordia, change of popes, Olympics. It went on and on and on. I got to all the great cities of Europe, almost, I got a chance to go to with some amazing stories. So that was all great. The unexpected part is the effect on the family. And this is partly what the book's about. People don't think about, when you get these great opportunities, about the other people behind the scenes. They, Isabella and Julia, had to go and find their own way there. And in a way, it made the whole experience so much richer. The stories were always going to be great, but the people we met and the social, the social uh, network that they built, partly through the school, partly through some of the connections that Isabella made, made the whole experience so much richer. There, there's a term called trailing spouse, which I never learned before I went to London. London has probably more of them than any other city on earth. They are remarkable people in their own right who set aside their own career ambitions because the spouse, almost always the husband, gets this incredible opportunity. And they, they're the ones who make the experience so much richer. I would have always had a good time. The work would have been terrific, but probably would have been a bit lonely. And we got to meet some incredible people from Australia, from the United States, from Italy, from all around the world who all became good friends. And we became kind of this impromptu mutual support society. I want to turn to uh, current provincial politics and get your uh, impression now that you are no longer a working journalist, especially. Uh, it, where do you see the Ford government going? And how does it compare to the McGinty government, which is you were embedded in that government? Well, um, I actually compare them more to the Harris government of 95. I wasn't there full time, but I covered it a lot. But they were the last Tory governor who came in, shook things up. And the difference between the two was Mike Harris was a very experienced politician. He'd been there a long time. He had some time, time in cabinet. And they had a, uh, a very definitive, extensive plan for what they were going to do. The Ford government, Premier 
has only very minimal experience in politics, never been an MPP before, and their platform, of course, was, as you know, rather scant. It was kind of summed up by, we're not the Liberals, and we're probably a better choice than, choice than the NDP, mixed in with some promises that were pretty tough to keep, such as we're going to get finances under control without firing anybody. So they've, they've, um, they've struggled a bit. They've struggled a bit with their communications. They've struggled a bit with picking fights that they probably didn't need to pick. And they Are you concerned about the fights that they pick with journalists? Is that, I mean, I the journalists, we got, tend to get ourselves like hair on fire when that happens. But from the outside, what do you think? I sympathize, but in the, in the great scheme of things, from the raw political point of view, I don't think they really care. I don't think they're going to lose any votes that way. I don't think people care that they run their own little news operation as much as uh, those of us who, who care about journalism might shake our heads at it. But what does matter is if you pick a fight on public health care with the city of Toronto and, and the city of Toronto fights back with very specific numbers showing how you're reducing their transfers and your only response is, well, you're fear-mongering. And in fact, the numbers are correct. So you don't want to lose, you don't want to lose an argument on health care because people care about uh, reducing public finances, reducing the, reducing the deficit and getting your public finances in, uh, in order, but it's pretty far down the list in terms of priorities compared to healthcare. So their communications haven't always been the best. They're uh, picking fights on things like autism. Not a great idea. I don't think they care about picking a fight with teachers because you know, Mike Harris had a province-wide teacher strike and still won a second, yeah. second term. So you know, it's, only a, it's only a year in and compared to the McGinty government a year in, which is about when I came in, they were still fighting off uh, the, uh, the, the uh, broken promise on tax cuts, or broken promise on tax increases. Three years later they won another term. John, we've got to leave it there. Fallen for London is the book. Great to have you back on Focus. Good to be back on it. You can watch that uh, interview again on Focus Ontario, 5.30 on Saturday, 11.30 Sunday morning, and the book, Falling for London, is available now. Let's get to what I was promising, which is an update on Grumpy Cat. Now, a while ago, you've heard this now, of course, that Grumpy Cat has passed on, but Grumpy Cat was reported to have a huge income. Uh, in, in, in fact, there was a report that the owner, Tabitha Bunsen, who was a former Red Lobster waitress, had earned $99.5 million in just two years. Now, she called that report completely false. However, did not specify Grumpy Cat's actual earnings. Quote, what she's achieved in such a short time is unimaginable and absolutely mind-blowing, Ms. Bunsen told The Express. I was able to quit my job as a waitress within days of her first appearance on social media, and the phone simply has not stopped ringing since. This was a couple years ago before Grumpy Cat's untimely demise, passing away from a urinary tract infection on Tuesday. Now, after the fame began to grow for Grumpy Cat... Her owners hired a self-styled internet meme talent manager, whose clients also include Keyboard Cat. Grumpy Cat is registered with a U.S. patent and trademark. And Grumpy Cat is far from the first internet cat luminary. Now, the online cat industrial complex is a long tradition, especially in Japan, where famous names like Maru, that's the cat that jumps in boxes, you've likely seen that, Shiro, who is famous for letting his owners stack things on him. They've been racking up hits for years. The cat video field has become so crowded, in fact, that in Minneapolis in 2012, that was the first ever cat 
video festival. So it's a crowded marketplace is my point. You cat owners out there, if you've got a funky feline, odds are you're not going to be making cash like Grumpy Cat because it's a crowded cat market. En catimini de 7h à minuit, tous les chats du quartier, même les plus mal léchés, s'en vont se licher, la poche allumée, sur des cheminées au perché. Souvent les voisins en ont marre des félins qui font tant de bruit dans lequel charivari. Mais c'est ainsi, ailleurs comme ici, la nuit tous les chats sont gris. Welcome back to the radio program. So glad you could spend some time with us. I am so nervous. I'm telling you, I'm nervous about tonight's game. I'm a huge Raptors fan, as you know, and I'm a little concerned that if we don't come out of Milwaukee with a split, that this team is going to take it on the chin. And we've seen this team kind of fold emotionally before. This is a different kind of team with Kawhi. Kawhi doesn't fold. There's no fold in that guy. But it is going to be a tough game tonight, and the Raptors are trying to put that narrow loss, that really heartbreaking loss in Game 1 behind them. I was in Milwaukee for Game 1, covering it for Global News. Uh, here, here I am outside the stadium just after the game lets out as uh, Bucks fans are pouring out, and I kind of take my life in my own hands. The Bucks just turned it on, and here they are, the Bucks fans celebrating. Oh yeah, whoop it up. That's okay. You enjoy your moment. Yeah, you enjoy your moment. It's not going to last. The moment is not going to last. <laughs> so there I am taunting Bucks fans, at like thousands and thousands of them as they pour past me. Probably not the wisest thing I've ever done. But my entire trip to Milwaukee was, I went in there elbows up. I figure, you know what? I'm going into enemy territory. I'm not going to wait for them to throw the first punch. I'm going in there, elbows up. And that's the way I approached it. For example, when I woke up on Wednesday morning, I read the news that there was a local radio station, a pop radio station, that had decided that they would not play any Drake whatsoever for the duration of the series. So what I did is I went to the radio station, and uh, I talked my way past the front and I quite literally, I, I quite literally barged into the studio. They had no idea I was coming. So in I go. And I say, I'm Alan Carter. I'm from Global News in Toronto. Uh, what's with this Drake thing? And they just flipped on the mics, and way we go. I'm sure you're familiar with the Drake curse, are you not? Uh, I'm familiar that you think that there's a Drake curse. <laughs> uh, we don't think, we know. Do you uh, see what happened to the it. Sixers? Oh, yeah, did, yeah, bounce, 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 and in. Ain't no Drake curse. Luck. We started from the bottom, and we're going all the way to the finals. <sighs> Goodbye, Bucks. I know. Just- that is me on a radio station in Milwaukee, schooling them a little bit about We the North. And here is where I go a little Carly Rae Jepsen on them. You used to call me on my cell phone, but you're not going to call me anymore after we eliminate your team. Oh, oh, is that the hotline ringing? That's the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo coming to stomp your ass. Oh, I 
believe it. I'll take one claw over one freak every day. Uh, I'm pretty sure Drake's You to You to Best was written about Giannis. True story. I know that on good authority. No, I think it was written about George Hill because he's one of the best, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We've, got, we've got several players. They have, what, one player? Who, how many players are on the round? I don't know. Kawhi Leonard and those other scrubs, I believe uh, it is. Whoa. Uh, hey. I said it. I said it. Don't let me Ooh. get all Kyle Lowry up in here. You're not going to get anything but polite because you're Canadian and we all know that, okay? Well, I'm sorry that we're going to be That is me crashing a radio station in Milwaukee earlier this week and giving it to him. And then I decided I wasn't done. So I went next door to a sports radio station. Uh, and this is perhaps where I go a little too far. This is perhaps over the line. This is me on sports radio, talk radio in Milwaukee on Wednesday. Wisconsin is awesome. Milwaukee's a whole. I think that's what you were no, saying. No, 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 no. Milwaukee's great. Uh, that maybe, I think maybe that was a little too much. I think, you know, it's a nice town-ish. A nice-ish town. It's a, it's a good town experience. Uh, so that was me uh, on the radio. And then I really want to play this for you. I'm going to move ahead to Nick Nurse in just a second. I, this, so what happens when you cover the Raptors, what happens, and, and it's happening just right now um, in Milwaukee, uh, the, the team has a bit of a shoot-around, and you get to ask the coach and uh, some players some questions. So there I am, and it, we have a scrum, and you've heard me talk about scrums before. Where they, So they bring the coach in, and there's all the reporters around, and I'm used to being a political reporter. So what happens when you're in politics, when you're a political journalist, is the minister or the prime minister or the premier, whoever comes in, and then immediately everybody starts shouting. Like, and it's, I'm talking, and it's elbows up. It is, you know, every man and woman for themselves. But sports is totally different. Because these are people who cover the team all the time, and they have a different kind of relationship, and they're super worried, those sports journalists, about being cut out of access. So listen here to what happens. The Raptors team had tweeted out a photo of Nick Nurse, Coach Nick Nurse, getting off an airplane uh, in Milwaukee, and the photo shows him. He's wearing some Beats headphones and some cool glasses, and over his shoulder he is carrying a guitar. So when the scrum begins, when the questions begin, like there's this silence. Nobody asks the first question. And I think to myself, all right, you guys ain't going to step up. I'm going to step up. So here's what I asked ask the coach. Listen to what he says in response. Coach, did you bring a guitar to town? What was that you had on the play? No, it's a violin. Next question. <laughs> yep. That's it. Just, that's, thank you and good, next question. Shut me down. And then he was very kind. He came over afterwards and explained to me that he, he does play the guitar a couple hours a day. It's something that just relaxes him. And then he hates answering personal questions. And from now on, he's going to have somebody else carry his guitar because he gets too many questions about it. And then I went on to tell him, and we got to get to break, and I will in just a second, but I went on to tell him something that my family says to me all the time. My family claims that I look like Nick Nurse. They say, you look like Nick Nurse. And I say, I don't see it. So I, after Nick was very kind to explain to me this whole thing about the guitar, uh, I said to him, you know, my family says I, I look like you. Well, he stops. He looks me up and down. And then with no expression on his face whatsoever, he just shakes my hand and walks away.
We have breaking news coming into our newsroom right now. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Foreign Minister Christia Freeland have scheduled an announcement in Hamilton on Friday. Today, they are expected to announce a deal to lift the Trump administration's steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada and on Mexico. Canada has finally, apparently, persuaded the Trump administration that it can help protect the United States against a flood of cheap Chinese steel, and that development could lead to the imminent lifting of those punitive tariffs. That's according to sources uh, reported by Canadian Press. This is just out by Canadian Press. Multiple sources saying that the U.S. US now is close to lifting its 25% and 10% tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum imports. And again, a press conference by the Prime Minister and the Foreign Minister is now scheduled for later today in Hamilton. We will continue to keep our eye on that. That is a developing news story that our newsroom is watching. Make sure you stay listening for more on that. Conrad Black has been pardoned by President Trump. That pardon coming in a phone call to the former Lord. Of course, Conrad Black was convicted of obstruction of justice and fraud in 2007, all in a scheme that prosecutors claimed Mr. Black was attempting to siphon money from his company, Hollinger. He spent more than three years in a U.S. prison, but... Developments have shown that much of the case against him in the beginning was flimsy, and he continues to say that the case against him and the verdict against him was unjust, unnecessary, and now the President of the United States has agreed and issued a pardon to him. Conrad Black joined me from his home in Toronto. Mr. Black, do you believe the positive things you've written about Donald Trump played a role in you receiving this presidential pardon? He assured me that they didn't. But I I would say, not that this was exactly what you asked, if I was one of those who slagged him off every week and suggested that he was a Russian asset committing uh, treasonous acts against his country, I, I think that Uh, Even though the legal facts would have been the same, I think he might not have been particularly interested in in examining the file. But he assured me that the fact that we'd been cordial acquaintances for 20 years and that I'd been relatively supportive of him, which he he thanked me for, uh, was not the reason. He was very explicit and very clear and urged me to make it clear that the reason... Uh, that he did this, his motivation was that it was, and I'm quoting him, a bad rap, an unjust verdict, and that I should never have been charged. And that was the view of the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, and of their legal staff after carefully analyzing the material that Alan Dershowitz and others submitted on my behalf. You talked about the president saying that the pardon had nothing to do with the positive things that you have written about him. But the president has a history of pardoning political supporters. Does that at all taint this pardon for you? No. It has nothing to do with it. And it's not as if those are the only people he pardons. He's pardoned, I think he's only pardoned about eight or ten people. Uh, You might consider that sheriff in Arizona to be... uh, uh, to be a political supporter of his, but as far as I know, those are, that's the only one, and, uh, and my position is hardly comparable to that. 
but uh, you know, he he's uh, I, I don't, there's no such pattern particularly in what he's done, and in any case, I have to take him at his word and and the word of the very gracious release made by the White House last night. This pardon, how does it change your life, or does it? Yeah, I think it does. Um, as a practical matter, if I wanted to go to the United States, I could have done it, but I had to apply. And because of the outrageous way I was treated by the legal system of that country, I was not prepared to apply for the great privilege of entering the country. Uh, 14, 15, 16 years ago, there was immense controversy and uh, a, a tremendous amount of extremely hostile publicity uh, inciting the belief that I was an embezzler and, and a, a, a really a, a terribly unethical person. And uh, we, we, as I say, we beat down sequentially every part of those allegations, and, and this is the final dismissal of them by what is, in fact, the ultimate legal authority in that country. Conrad Black, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Alan. Always fun speaking with Conrad Black, and I was surprised in that interview that there were not more $3 words, because I love it when he drops a big one. Uh, But here now is, this is maybe a guide for you, if you would like to insult someone, perhaps you could say the way that Mr. Black describes it. Slagged him off. There you go. That's nice. Then, if you are hanging out with your friends, what you do is you don't say, I'm going out with my friends, you'd say this. Cordial acquaintances. See, there you go. That's how you speak like, if you're Conrad Black, that's how you do it. And then, you know, if it's a Friday night and you're kind of getting jiggy with it, you know, Will Smith style, then what are you doing? You're getting... Explicit. Oh, yeah. That's how it rolls when you're Connie Black. Conrad. Mr. Black. Sorry. Conrad, who lives across from Drake, by the way. Did you know this? His house is like kitty corner to Drake, and then on the other side is uh, Gordon Lightfoot. So, you know, like you're just, you walk, you drop over and say, hey, Gord, if you could read my mind, could I borrow a cup of sugar? And then you take the cup of sugar over to Drake's house, uh, and you say, well, you used to call me on my cell phone. Uh, and that's how you do that. Well, do we have time for Rip and Read here now? The Rip and Read. If you don't know, if you haven't heard this, this is what we do, is we get the interns. We have an army of interns here, and they're all unpaid. Uh, and what they do is they go and they get wire copy, they get news stories, and they print them out, and then they just give them to me, and I read them, and I read them cold. I rip them, I read them. Don't try this at home, folks. This is only for experienced news anchors. I will need some Drake. Kitten stowaways survived 400 miles inside steel column. Five kittens that stowed away on a 400-mile trip to San Diego are looking for new homes. The San Diego Humane Society says the kittens somehow wound up inside a 60-foot steel column that was tucked from Hayward, trucked, pardon me. See, I blew that one. I'm going to move on. Back to the Drake, ripping and reading. Woody Harrelson photo used to spot thief. The New York Police Department used a photo of Woody Harrelson in its facial recognition program in an attempt to identify a beer thief who looked like the actor. According to a report published Thursday, Georgetown University Center on Privacy and Technology highlighted the April 2017 episode 
in Garbage, Illinois. It's actually Garbage in. That's what that says. It doesn't, it doesn't say Illinois. So I'm zero for two. Last one. Austrian official warns against cow-kissing challenge for charity. An Austrian government official is having a cow over a bizarre Swiss app challenge, urging, urging followers to kiss bovines to raise money for charity. The Koo Kiss Challenge, launched earlier this week, urges users in Switzerland, Austria, and other German countries to kiss cows with or without tongue. That is utterly disgusting. I'm back on Tuesday. Hey, it's a long weekend. The 2-4. Woo! See you Tuesday.